0: Uh, it sounds like we're gonna be recorded. Uh Becca, I know uh, we we discussed that. Um I might just get a let let everyone know that, that that's gonna be used for uh internal purposes only at this stage. Um yep. if anybody has a, a concern about that, um we can we can certainly turn that off. Um but please please let us know if you would prefer that not to happen, uh, otherwise. We're just gonna use this for, for our um, research. It sounds like a, a few more beeps joined the call. Um, so if if everyone's ready to roll, I might kick off um, and start by welcoming everybody to the call. Uh, it's really great that you could join us where um, we're being hosted by Community Matters in response to a blog post about Gov 2.0. Um, And it was really great to see how much interest we got from people about this um, who wanted to learn more um, and share some of their experiences. Um, Today, uh, leading the the discussion today, um, my name's Bonnie Shaw. I'll be moderating the call. Um, I'm joined by Yasmin Fodal, who's a partner at BYU Consulting, um, and a bit of a expert in in the Gov 2.0 world. Um, she'll be giving us a really rock-solid overview of uh, of the Gov 2.0 principles uh, and, and the ecosystem. And then we're also joined by Jared Duvall, who is a fellow at Demos and also uh, the author of a fantastic new book called Next Generation Democracy, which launches next week on the 9th of November. And Jared's going to give us a really great perspective talking uh, about some excellent stories around implementation uh, and really kind of giving us a great sense of how Gov 2.0 can play out on the ground in real-life situations. Um, I just wanted to give a, a really quick overview of, of who's on the call, who signed up to be here today. Um, just so that everyone feels really comfortable, we, uh, we really we discussion. Um, and hope that everyone will chime in with questions and suggestions and experience um, out of out of the people on the call today. Um, about just over just under 60%, um, say that responded that that you don't have a, a great grounding and in really interested to know more. So if you think if you're worried about asking a question that might seem Basic to other people, don't worry, uh, everyone's in the same boat. Um, so, so please feel comfortable just asking, asking anything that comes to mind. Um, out, of, out of everyone on the call, uh, about 40% of you are interested in starting to use Gov, te- Gov 2.0 techniques in your town. Um, so we're expecting some of the, the conversation to really focus on implementation um, of techniques and tools. There's a, a few people on the call that are already using Gov 2.0 techniques, and so we're really hoping that, that you guys will share some of your experiences um, with some of the less experienced people on the call. Uh, and then there are a couple of people here who uh, who call themselves experts and know a lot, and uh, so we're going to be looking to you guys to really help us out and uh, and help us explain how this stuff works and how we can make the most of it to make our towns and communities better. So on that note, I am going to hand over to Yasmin Fodal just to give a really quick overview of of Gov 2.0 and follow up from the post uh, that that was on the Community Matters blog. Uh, So Yasmin, do you want to take it
1: away? Sure. Uh, Hi everyone. Um, I am going to give a quick overview of Gov 2.0 and just launch right in, Um, and the way that I'm going to structure my overview is in uh, three sections. So first, um, the benefits of Gov2o and kind of the things that make me really excited about it, Um, some of the methods um, for getting to that place, and then what you actually need to do in the government context to make it happen. Um, So first, you know, why why is Gov2o exciting to me, to you, to to people in this space? you know, what people talk about a lot is, is that when you include citizens in government and open up what's happening in government to citizens, that you, you get a lot of value out of that. So you can create um, value in terms of better decisions that government makes. You can capture local knowledge, so knowledge that your community members have that those in government might not have. Um, You increase the capacity of citizens to understand the decision-making process. So perhaps they're not happy with the decision, but they understand a little bit better about how difficult it is to make decisions in government. Um, You have the potential to solve some really challenging problems. Our our society is facing challenges these days that go beyond kind of the traditional tools that we've used to attack problems. Um, And it can help spur public innovation um, and private innovation. Um, so when you think about Gov2O and all of these benefits, there are kind of three typical pillars that we talk about um, to make that happen. So the first is transparency in government, and that's really um, that's really about opening up what government what government's doing uh, and allowing people to see that. So that could be in the form of open public meetings um, or releasing data. Um, and really, giving citizens an eye into what's going on and how it's happening, um, and that can help uh, do a lot of really good things and and meet you know uh, have some of the benefits that I described above. um one of the classic examples in terms of spurring public innovation and transparency is weather data, so the government puts out weather data, and then other companies can use that data and turn it into really useful information for citizens. Um, So in addition to allowing citizens understand what government is doing, it also creates innovations and information that the government wouldn't otherwise be able to produce by itself. Um, The second pillar is participation, and that's really about involving citizens in the business of governance. Um, And that could be something as simple as sharing information uh, freely and widely using some of that data in in the transparency area. Um, It could be receiving feedback on policies. so before government makes a decision or has an idea about something, getting citizen feedback. Um, It could be actually soliciting ideas from citizens uh, about particular problems, challenges, or new areas. And even further down that we see in in some places and in in other countries is actually involving citizens in in the decision-making process. Um, And the final piece is collaboration. Um, And this kind of is, is, is about participation also, so it's collaborating with citizens on projects, but it's also about how you can help government agencies or how government agencies can collaborate with each other. So if you have an agency that's focusing on education and another that's focusing on public health um, and another that's focusing on housing and urban development, figuring out how to get all of those agencies working together um, to solve challenges within a particular locality. Um, So a lot of these these principles that I've talked about, you'll notice I haven't discussed technology yet. and I just want to quickly mention that because technology is something that enables these things to happen in a way that was never able to happen before. Um, but it's still those core processes that, at least m- m- from my perspective, are the ones um, that I focus on and that I think are really important to think about. If you think about, you know, all of this stuff sounds great, you know, you want to get all these benefits and you want to do all these things, I think in government it's important to realize that it's a it's a very special context. So private company or a nonprofit organization where you can decide one day that you want to do something and the next day implement it, right? Um, so there are kind of four different levels. Um, I did some research about how government can actually implement this stuff during my master's program. Um, and there are four areas that are especially important for government institutions to think about when trying to implement Gov2o type methods. Um, the first is thinking about the systemic issues. So. Well, let me give you an overview of the four. So we have systemic issues, um, you have organizational issues, you have project level issues, and then um, understanding your citizenry. So at the top, in in government, you you really have to be careful about legal issues, cybersecurity issues, political considerations, um, and when you're thinking about implementing a Gov2o program or project, it's important to think about how all of those issues, especially when you're using technology, might help or hinder your project. Um, and then create strategies for how you're going to deal with that. Um, but at the organizational level, it's really important to have your leadership on board. So whether that's your city manager, your mayor, the head of the agency that you're working within, without their kind of support and blessings, it's very difficult to get get anything done in this in this way. Um, the third piece is around your project, so You'll see a lot of government agencies have started Twitter feeds and Facebook pages, and that's all all really, really great. The best projects that we see are the ones that are designed that in a way that actually help the agency meet its goals. So um, making sure that you're crafting projects that are aligned to the things your overall agency or organization is trying to do uh, makes the projects that much better. And the final piece that's really important to think about is your citizens. So um, you can ask people to do something. Whether or not they do it is another question. And when designing really successful Gov2o type projects, it's really important to understand the motivations, habits, needs, desires of your citizens. So do they want to engage with you around a particular project? Why would they want to give feedback? How would they like to give feedback? Where do they hang out online and in real life? And how can you design projects that really speak to their needs and interests? Um, so I think I think government is a really a really special place and a and a where you can make a lot of really important changes in our society and in the world and in dealing in dealing in that space and in trying to make this happen, um, thinking about all of those four levels uh are really important and have led to success in the places that we've um, studied them. So I hope Thank that you. was a, yeah clear enough overview. Bonnie, so, yeah. I think
0: that's great. There's uh, there's a couple of questions coming in from uh, from the Google group. I from the sorry the Google Doc, which I I didn't mention this uh, in the introduction. There um, we're taking some collaborative notes. Everyone should have the link to that. If you don't, we can send it out afterwards. I think that was a really um, clear and concise overview of of how GOCO works and, and kind of what it's all about. Um, now we're we're just going to throw to Jared Duvall. Uh, Jared's going to just give us a little background on his research and uh, some of the stories that he collected when he was writing his book, Next Generation Democracy. Uh, Jared. Jared's going to give us a, a quick overview of that, and then we're going to open it up for discussion, um, and and hope to, hopefully help to solve some of your problems and really kind of throw some throw some ideas around. So, Jared, do you want to take it away?
2: Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. Um, so, when we think about the term Gov 2.0, it's clearly reminiscent and kind of built on the idea of, of Web 2.0 which is, as Yasmin said, all about transparency and participation and collaboration. And so um, about three years ago, I became really intrigued at ha- about how um, efforts um, like Wikipedia and the Linux operating system, which are based on a platform of um, gathering all kinds of information and ex- um, experience and expertise, to um, collaboratively create um, something that's that's far larger than the sum of its parts, and that, um, and so the question for Gov 2.0, or the opportunity for for Gov 2.0, is how do you tap into that impu- impulse, that ability to to kind of crowdsource solving pr- public problems? And I think the the real benefit of Gov 2.0 is is one, it, if you open up processes in this way, it gives you the potential to get new ideas and and come up with better, more comprehensive um, um, solutions to some of the problems you're facing. But second, and just as important, if not more important, is that by doing it in this open, transparent way, um, you're able to reflect a genuine, authentic public will that has the support of of citizens in a way that if you do a closed-off problem-solving process, you know, at the end, citizens can come to say, well, it's not about me, I wasn't involved, I wasn't, you know, I didn't have the opportunity to participate. And so I just want to, so so this book that I wrote, Next Generation Democracy, has a ton of stories of um, folks in government, outside government, activists, websites, um, deliberative democracy organizations that take these principles. Um, and are are, are really applying them in innovative ways. And so I'm just going to tell one quick story um, about the website C-Click Fix, which um, was started actually in in the town that I live in now, New Haven, Connecticut, but it is global now. Um, And what it is is it's an online platform built on Google Maps that allows anyone um, to report a non-emergency issue in their community. So if there's a pothole on your street, a missing street sign, um, drug dealing happening on your corner, whatever it is, um, you you can go on and report that. And there's an open um, discussion forum. You can post videos. You can post pictures. And then... um, People can vote it up. If they really care about it, more people can say, I want to see this fixed, too. And the the amazing thing about it is that the way that it started was its founder was um, waiting on hold on on a phone line with City Hall to report something and getting passed between departments, and he'd send emails, and and he wouldn't get a response. And so the idea was to create something transparent so that it wouldn't get lost, the, the, the kind of issue. And two, to be able to involve people in solving the problem. So the great thing about it is that it's not just saying, hey, government, fix this for me. Because of the um, open platform that C-Click Fix is enabled, we've seen tons of examples of citizens coming together saying, well, we could do this on our own, or collaborating with government because a conversation is started rather than there seeming like this um, big wall between um, the two. And so there are specifically now over 30 cities across the country that um, find C-Click Fix so useful and important to them that they have a dashboard, um, and all of their kind of public comments and reports um, are managed through the site. So it's just one great example that I'm happy to talk more about that I think is a really inspiring, practical um, way that localities and, and cities can um, look at for engaging citizens in, in problem solving.
0: Thanks, Jared. That's awesome. Um, now, there's a couple of questions coming into the, the Google Doc here. Um, I'm going to throw open the first one um and then please jump on and uh and unmute and let's uh let's have a really good discussion about this. Um I think everybody here has some really great questions and and I think there's a lot of experience on the call uh that we could all really learn from. So the um there's a there's a good question here what's the best way to suggest Gov 2.0 to a town with relatively older conservative leaders for whom this would be completely new? Um, that's an excellent question. Um, this Introducing Gov 2.0, introducing new technologies to, uh, to organizations and, and to towns um, is, is really challenging, uh, and, and that process of change management can be one of the most challenging things that, that you'll encounter. Um, Is there someone on the call that that wants to to field that um, from some experience they've had on the ground? And failing that, Yasmin, do you want (laughs) to tackle that one?
1: (laughs) Sure, sure. Um, I think... um, you know, gov2o is scary for many, many reasons. Right? It's scary because of the new practices that you're introducing, and it's also scary because of the of the technology that most people associate it with. Um, so, when you go into a new town or into your town, um, what I would actually start with is a conversation that doesn't include technology, um, and that is really a conversation with the main stakeholders in the town about what their biggest problems are, right? So if it's, you know, if you're going to introduce Gov2o type stuff into your locality, it has to be meeting some kind of challenge or problem that exists. Um, Once you get people on board around that shared concern or shared challenge, um, it'll be easier to start talking about how increasing participation or increasing openness might help to address that problem. Once people are kind of on board with thinking about it in a new way, um, then I think selecting a technology that enables you to do that will be a little bit easier. Um, but it's it's definitely a multi-tiered process, and I think breaking it down into all of its component parts um, and bringing people along the way before even talking about the shiny tool um, is what I would suggest in that particular context.
0: That's great, Jared. Do you uh, do you have any examples um, from your research around um, around how some of those processes can can get managed, uh, and how people can bring change through collaborative action?
2: Yeah, I mean the the example that comes to mind, and this is on a, I, I noticed a question. Um, being typed in about um, larger uh, cities, you know, 100,000 people, how do you, how do, you do this? And um, so in the first chapter, um, I, I wrote all, all about the response to uh, Katrina in, in New Orleans. And there was this fascinating story where um, what ended up happening is the mayor of the city originally decided to do the rebuilding plan by um, bringing in all these outside consultants from Washington, D.C., and they uh, put together a a map of what the city should look like when they rebuilt, and um, it was actually published on the front page of the times Picayune newspaper with all of these um, green dots where they decided there should be green space because the the areas were too low-lying. And and what ended up happening, of course, was all of those um, areas that were... uh, low-lying were also African-American, 99% African-American low-income neighborhoods, and there was a political uproar. And so it created this dynamic where um, the city needed a comprehensive rebuilding plan to get federal funding to start flowing, um, and but there, they couldn't come up with one for a year because it was this kind of top-down uh, process that that alienated so many citizens. And so what ended up happening is, the city invited in the organization America Speaks to host um, a series of community congresses uh, using America Speaks 21st century um, town meeting technology where they get a demographically representative group of citizens together, uh, keypad polling, they deliberate uh, facilitated tables, and they, they come up with a collaborative plan for it. It was called the Unified New Orleans Plan. And the thing that, you know, the mayor and the city council in New Orleans were both incredibly skeptical about opening up the rebuilding planning process uh, in this way. You know, thousands of people in a convention center uh, around a bunch of tables, you know, going through each question and and saying yes or no. Um, But by doing it in that way, there was so much political legitimacy and there was so, um, you know, the the transparency bred... a a trust and credibility of the process that when the unified neurons plan was finished, um, it had overwhelming public support and passed almost instantaneously through the, through the mayor's office, through the city council and through the state government. And so I think in that way, you know, emphasizing the benefits of, um, not only being able to get access to, to better ideas, but, but by building public will and public support for whatever comes out, um, you know, it, I think can be really appealing to government officials who don't want to worry about, um, you know, undertaking a process that might, you know, in the end uh, have a lot of pushback because there wasn't the opportunity for or they didn't take the extra steps to engage citizens.
0: Thanks, Jared. That's great. Um, now, I I wanted to throw it open to people on the call. Is there anyone that has a particular question or a challenge that they want to ask directly? Uh, without going through
3: the Google Doc. I have a question. I'm, I'm wondering, with very limited resources, how a government can sort of implement these strategies and then encourage people to participate? You know, we've sort of tried doing some things, but then we get very little response. Um, without a big marketing budget or a lot of resources to, say, even rent a big convention center to gather folks, um, what sort of suggestions do you have for increasing participation?
0: Well, that's a great question. Uh I think one of the, the, the huge challenges with with this, uh especially in smaller towns, is the, the limited resources to apply to these new technologies and this this new style of engagement. Um and do you wanna do you want field that or should I throw it open to the group?
1: Yeah, no, I mean um I think it really depends on what you're trying to do. Was it more of just like a an information sharing campaign, or what? What
3: was the actual project, or what? What are you thinking about doing? Well, um, we have a number of ideas that we and we haven't really gone forward with anything. Um, but sort of just to kind of like test things out, we've posted questions on our Twitter page or our website and ask for feedback, and we'll get maybe three people to respond or once we tried to have a photo contest and mm-hmm. requested that people send in their favorite fall photos and we get nothing. Yeah. Um, and well, without, I, I, you know, like I said, with no marketing budget to even put posters up or contact specific groups or run an online ad or anything like that. I'm just wondering. I,
4: I have a comment about that. Okay. Hello? Um, my name's Ann Sussman. I, I did the Open Neighborhood Project in Acton, Mass. And what we found is if you pose problems like education problems or curious problems rather than as a planning problem or just a government problem you can get a lot more um you can get a lot more people involved including your schools and your nonprofits who might be in town anyway hello
0: that's that's a great comment and
4: so, so if it's so for example you know we have a suburban commercial intersection that's kind of derelict when you enter town, and people have been embarrassed about it for over 30 years. Mm -hmm. 30 years of planning has done nothing. So instead of pose it as a planning problem, we posed it as an art problem, as maybe a computer technology problem where we could maybe explore it in second life. We posed it. We went to our local discovery museum and said, can you tell us about uh, what happens with water in this intersection that's so much... um, um, impervious surface. You know, so we got got that going, <laughs> you know. We posed it almost like a uh, an experiential problem rather than when you start talking planning sometimes or policy. Oh, uh, actually a teenager summed it up. She said, "You know, when I heard this is about uh, planning, I thought it was going to be really tedious, so I didn't want to come, but this is really interesting." <laughs> hmm. So if you and I, we also found that we actually got money of all places for, uh, from an arts foundation, a state arts foundation, we got money to do planning because um, we said we were going to let people build things and um, use colored uh, papers to kind of design their ideas for the intersection. And it worked really well. We ended up getting a, a, a state cultural award <laughs> for planning. <laughs> uh. so, so, so by um, not looking, looking at it, I think what you're seeing in planning generally too is this sense that we have the in- disciplines coming together. We're getting more interdisciplinary. So if you just look at it, humans are naturally curious, right? And so pose it like a curious problem. Show an aerial view of like the intersection or the town or whatever, and and or maybe blow it up really big and have them walk on it, or you know, you know what I'm saying? Almost, almost using an artistic uh, approach, and and you find people will come and give you money. <laughs> That's what we found. <laughs> Believe it or not.
0: Yeah, be artistic, and people will give you money. The artistic <laughs> and the scientific.
4: The artistic and the scientific. We also got money from the science museum. Uh, gave us money uh, because we they realized we were looking at this. You know, talking about pervious impervious water cycle. They were looking at. You know, you, you, I think you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's helpful. A Thank a you. Really
0: great example. Um, another a question I would pose. Um, Post to, to you uh, and, and to other people that have tried to start experimenting with these sort of techniques is when you go into these, do you have a really good idea about what you're going to do with the feedback that your community gives you? So when you, when you ask people to send you photos, do you have a really clear intention of what you're going to do with those photos?
3: You know, I think that that's actually in the strategy that we've used in the past, I think that's been something that's been missing. Um, I work for the state legislature, and it's a really fluid process. Once we gather the information, there's no guarantees that we can, you know, there's no guarantees that we can do anything with the information they've given us because there are so many different ideas and such a complex process. But it's, I guess, part of the problem is that we haven't had ideas of exactly what we want to accomplish with it, with the information, but then it also, we're not sure that we can see it all the way through the end, even if we do have that goal in mind. Does that make sense?
4: Yeah, I think that's how reality is. <laughs> <laughs> where where often you start something, I mean, that's kind of how science works, That also how, is how art works. I mean, you, it's an iterative process, and you start something, and maybe you're not quite sure where it's going to lead. Um, I mean, in my case, it led to this phone call, and I had no idea that would happen, <laughs> you know. Um, but... I mean, on the one hand, you want the work that you're asking the public to do to have a, a, a real impact um, and, and, and promote change, but you can never quite know where it will go. Um, but I think what I've learned is it does build, I think it's exactly what Jared said, and I wrote this down, it builds political legitimacy and mm-hmm. transparency breeds trust. And, and that is so important and that, because there's so much doubting of what the government can do now. And, and that whole piece of building politi- political legitimacy, I think you can't um, undersell. And I think our, our politicians, our selectmen in my town of 22,000, really saw that and were amazed. I, I just want to
1: add something that it's um, people. People think that the to- because the tools are free or really cheap that it's not expensive to do this work. And it's not that it's expensive, but kind of what you're illustrating is it takes a lot of time, oh, um, yeah. and, and you yeah. know, and, and just yes. just because you have the tool out there doesn't it doesn't replace all of the other behind the scenes hard work that it takes, and it's it's really challenging, um, right. and especially because people often think that it's cheap and easy. Um, no, it's
4: not, and it takes complete investment. Yeah. You know, it takes it takes a lot of people and a lot of stakeholders. But it, I find that if you get your stakeholders in the schools, or get your stakeholders with the nonprofits who are into education, or we made one of our stakeholders was a parents group that runs the local science fair. I mean, if you get those people, they're already giving, right? And they they just can't wait to, you know, they've got the setup to make it a little easier. But it does take tremendous amounts of time. That's absolutely true. So mm-hmm. that's
0: a that's a really nice point. I think what you're drawing out is that it's really important to build partnerships uh, with yeah, other yeah, organizations, yeah. with engaged individuals. Yeah. Um is there anyone else on the call that's that's had some experience with that in their communities, building partnerships with, with schools, with other departments, with uh local businesses?
5: Well we we certainly have here in Manchester, Vermont, this is Lee Crone. Hi. Share,
0: and, uh, please share your story with us. Sorry? Please please
5: share your story with us. Um, we worked with the local high school to try to engage younger folks in, uh, in civic affairs and governance. We had a, an extended debate about wind turbines a number of years ago, and in uh, post-analysis of that, project, what we realized was we completely lacked a younger voice in that conversation. So we approached the school, approached the students, and long story short, we ended up with the students asking to be more engaged in civic affairs and we now have two high school students in all of our town boards. Wow. And it's been a fascinating experience. It's been three or four years now and all of the Adults unanimously welcomed the students onto the boards, and the students really get themselves engaged in the process and come to the meetings and participate. And in some cases, they have full voting rights, and others, for legal reasons, (coughs) they do not. And it's been a fascinating process and a wonderful partnership with the school.
0: That's amazing. Um, Would you mind... are Are you logged into the document that we're taking notes in? Uh...
5: I have it but I'm not sure
0: I'll I'll send you the link uh, at the end of the call. I'd love to just get your um sure. your details about it. Okay.
5: It does look so like, like it's grown since I looked at it last. So yes, I do have it here. Thank <laughs> you.
0: Uh, Jared, do you have anything to add? I know your background was in uh student organizing. Um do you have anything to add to to that great story?
2: Yeah, I, I think the Manchester Youth Commission is is an amazing example of, um, you know, so often when, when I think the biggest problem that happens when folks try and engage youth is that it happens in this e- either a way that's kind of like, here, just do the nitty-gritty boring stuff, or in the patronizing kind of you're the leaders of, uh, tomorrow, you're our future, kind of stuff that's well-meaning but that can be disempowering if it's not balanced by a recognition that <laughs> that youth can lead today and that they have things to contribute right now. Um, and I think that, um, you know, the, the Manchester-Vermont example is, is amazing because it was, it was giving youth the respect and the responsibility and they then stepped up to the plate to actually fully participate on um, – Town boards, and and I think that, you know, you know from I, I, all of the experiences and stories that I've heard about successful youth organizing and engaging youth in, in governance or planning or whatever it is, it's 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 when, um, the folks who are trying to engage them do it with that level of respect and um, trying to give them real uh, responsibilities and opportunities for meaningful engagement.
0: It's uh, it's interesting on the the Google Doc where we're taking notes here. Um, I've just seen that someone's uh, typed in. Is this an example of Gov 2.0, uh, particularly around this this uh, example of, of having students on the, the high school boards? Um, Jared, do you wanna do you wanna field that?
2: I I think definitely. I mean, if if you think of as Yasmin suggested, we should, and I totally agree that Gov 2.0 is about three basic Principles about transparency, open participation, and, and diverse collaboration. Then, and, and not about the tools. The tools just enable those principles to be put in practice, right? And so, in terms of participation, um, you know, it's it's an example of of getting an incredibly important um, voice and, and, and group engaged that isn't usually. Engaged. So it's increasing participation and it's increasing collaboration. I mean, when you have those inroads into youth communities and, and high school groups, um, you know, the, the kind of amount of resources that you can then draw on for whatever it is in terms of spreading the word, in terms of, you know, working on projects or, you know, coming to um, uh, events or meetings um, increases a lot rather than it just being the, the usual suspects. So I, I would say that it's a great example of GOV 2.0 in, in, in practice and action. Thanks. That's amazing.
0: Um, now, we're getting close to uh, to 4.40. Um, we want to spend a little time uh, at the end of this call um, working out how the Community Matters Network can support these kinds of conversations going forward. Um I I think we've probably got time for uh, one more question before we move into that. Is there there anything else that's kind of driving people, any specific examples that you want to raise or talk about um, before we move on to that next discussion?
6: Hi, Susan. this is Susan Susan from Hilo, Hawaii. And one of my um, concerns has been we've been actively working on community participation in our um, CDPs or community development plans. And I think one of the biggest challenges we're facing is, um, I think someone had mentioned earlier, the kind of intergovernmental collaboration. We've um, had a lot of community participation and a lot of um, nonprofits stand up and be partners in the plan. And they're great in getting initial actions moving forward. But the big-ticket items that really are led by government still lags behind, <laughs> and I think that's one of our biggest challenges right now.
0: Yeah, I was just that, wondering that, if there's any comments. That can be really challenging. Yasmin, do you want to take this, and then if there's anyone else from uh, from government on the call, if you want to chime in. Um, and and
1: and just to be clear, you you you. You, you indicated that the challenge is getting citizen participation in and non-governmental organization involved in kind of that higher-level
6: decision-making process? Um, I think more um, primarily just government. You know, the citizens have actively participated, and they tend to stand up, raise their hand, and really help with the, the low-hanging fruit projects. Yeah. But the larger, big-ticket items really depend on government. And that's what lags, you know, the whole concept of um, change in management again and how we do things in government often takes a long time. And that discourages citizens. I see. Yeah, I mean, it does take a long time and
1: it is discouraging. And I think um, oftentimes in, in in the research that I've seen and the, the work that I've done, you'll have very strong strategies in place that are clear and expressed to citizens about how they're going to participate in these projects but Mm -hmm. there's not really similar plans and strategies for how to reform government at the higher levels
6: um
1: and so and and it's and it's really being intentional about that and writing strategies and getting people on board and say you know this is how the funding structures are going to change this is how the reporting structure is going to change um this is how um, this is how the decision making process is going to change and 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 you know being very intentional about that kind of stuff rather than just assuming it will change um, a- as a follow on to the citizen engagement work that's happening on the ground level and it might not it still might not happen right away um, mm-hmm. but I think being clear that it's an expressed goal and something that the government is working towards might do a lot of good, and again, it's that, that, that piece around transparency, might do a lot to help citizens be more understanding about the the time it takes to um, mm-hmm. change it. Mm-hmm.
6: Okay, thank you.
0: Is there anyone else on the call that's had experience around those kind of challenges that are working in government or have worked with government around collaboration? Uh okay. If uh, if you do have any thoughts um on on some ideas around around how to further that kind of collaboration, please do add them to the the notes we're taking. Um we'll make sure these are distributed to everyone at the end of the call. Um, we're at 4:43. I think um it would be great uh now if if we could move the conversation slightly um, and and just talk about the best way to, to keep supporting you guys and, and the people in your communities that are trying to do this great work, um, how the Community Matters Network can really keep this conversation going and be a, a great resource for you. Um, particularly calls like this um, or Any other suggestions that people might have? It would be great if you could just throw out some ideas um, that we can collect right now uh, and give us your thoughts on that. Someone want to kick it off?
3: Yeah, this is Erica. I'm in Denver, Colorado. And I I think that this call has been really helpful. Thank you for having it. And um, this may already exist, so sorry if it, if you've already created this and I haven't found it, but I'm wondering if you have like a list of resources or sort of an information clearinghouse for examples of success stories and actual technologies that people have used to implement some of these strategies. You know, so specific a websites idea. or anything like that.
0: Um, so what... Where, where, We've started to compile some of that stuff um, in the blog post that was posted on Gov 2.0. Uh, we tried to collect a, a bunch of uh, the examples from the Community Matters conference that mm-hmm. were showcased there, and some of the conversation that came out of that. Um, we're actually doing um, another one that's coming out shortly around mm-hmm. local economies um, that that we'll also be collecting. A bunch of really great resources and success stories that people can kind of use as exemplar projects and hang their hats on uh, as proof of uh, proof of concept, really. So that's that's a great one. Um, what kind of projects would be useful for you to see in there?
3: Well, one thing that I that really caught my eye was the participatory budgeting that they did in that town in Brazil, <clears throat> and I would love to know, you know, specific technologies for how they went about doing that and like a specific implementation plan if something like that exists. Just for example, you know, like there, there's just such a wealth of great ideas for how to do this GOV 2.0 stuff, but then I find that I have these great ideas, but I'm a little, I struggle with the logistics.
0: Sure, so it's something like a, an implementation plan? Right. Um, and this is, it sounds like the logistics of delivery.
3: Right, exactly. Right. This is Rebecca Stone from the Orton Family Foundation and Community Matters. Um, some of you, if you were at the Community Matters conference especially, may have run across a new database that we've developed called the Planning Tools Exchange, and you can get to that through orton.org, the Orton Family Foundation's website. Um we have certainly profiles of a few projects and tools that would really help with Gov 2.0 right now, but we'd love to be adding a lot more, and anyone can create an account and log in and, and add something there, so we certainly invite you to do so, and we'll make sure that link is in the notes from this call, too. Great, thanks, Rebecca.
0: Yeah. Anything from anyone else? Um, this this call sounds like it, it was quite popular. Um, Seems like there are quite a few people on the line. Would something like this as an ongoing, monthly call, weekly call, daily call? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, I think like this would be helpful to people. I think, I, think, I, I
4: think I'm hearing
0: votes for daily call.
4: No, no, no. <laughs> there you go, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh,
0: How about monthly? We go uh, weekly call or uh, a regular. Let's say a regular call. Uh, let's go a, a yay or a nay. Can a regular, yeah. yay. Uh, yeah. A regular call, yay. 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 Regular?
4: Yeah. Regular.
0: Regular could mean
4: yay. monthly or, or regular could could mean monthly or quarterly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh
0: huh. So let's go uh, monthly call. Yay. 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 yay.
4: Yeah.
0: Nay. No
4: that, that could be okay. I mean, uh, or every other month. I don't know. I think I think there are real issues in transparency when you really start getting to you know the data you're giving people, and and if you're going to give people comparative data, are you going to show them their town is growing faster than anyone else or not? I mean, are you going to show them their taxes are the highest or not? I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, it's presenting data people need to know is very hard actually. <laughs> And even then it gets it can get politically charged very difficult. So there are all these kind of issues to tease apart that that are that are very that's hard.
0: Interesting. So that's that's kind of uh an issue around data. So it sounds Yeah, like how do
4: you present it and what do you present and, and how you present your data can show your spin and it gets very, very difficult.
2: Mhm.
4: Um And and, and I I know we're in this incredible transition time now. I mean, I keep using this word, and I'm probably overusing it. We're in a paradigm shift, right? I mean, a lot of our planning, a lot of our suburban development um, reflected cheap oil, right? And and we're entering this decade where it's just not going to be that way. going to be uh, there's this uh, i think a lot of things are going to be uncertain or unknown and so we're it's a very interesting time to be a planner or to be in policy right now i think one person told me yesterday oh we don't want to talk about it because people will start to freak <laughs> and that'll make people panic on the other hand um do you understand what i'm saying or am i sounding a little out there to you guys
6: yeah i think you sound,
1: i
4: i i totally hear what you're
1: saying i This is Yasmin again. I worked on a huge uh, data project in New York City and uh, what government actually has to deal with when releasing data is very different than the story that's told in the media in terms of, oh, just release the data. It's very difficult and I I I hear you and I I feel your pain. It's hard, but it's worth it in a lot of ways.
4: Well, it's, all, it's interesting. It's just interesting. How do you present the data? On what level and how macro do you go? Do you present macro data or really micro data? Or do you go? And data itself, unless it's a comparison point, is almost meaningless. You know, to just give one number, it doesn't really say anything. You have to show a trend or you have to show it in a larger context. Well, how large? I mean, it gets, it gets really hard. And how much can people take in? You know what I mean? It gets hard how many, how, how uh, I don't know. <laughs> there's yeah. big issues. Like, would we planning for more population growth? Are we going to limit a population growth? I mean, this, uh, it gets, it's, it's, there's lo- There's lots we could be talking about.
3: <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah if I I you in.
3: Sorry.
5: If uh, I could just jump in briefly. This is Wayne Burke. Please. I apologize for being late. I had a phone problem that I finally got resolved.
3: Great.
0: Welcome. Uh, did you want to share something with us, or were you just uh, welcoming yourself to the call? Uh,
5: yeah, just announcing myself and uh, apologizing, I suppose. I haven't been on long enough to actually want to jump in the conversation. So, uh,
0: Well, we've been keeping some pretty good notes um, in the Google Docs, so uh, we'll make sure you get those, and then uh, we'll be following up um, and, and answering any extra questions that come out of this. So. Um, we'll, we'll catch you up fabulous um, so it sounds like there's a, there's a real need for some themed conversations data definitely one that's a bit of a, a touch point um, I want to come back to this uh, this idea of success stories and sharing stories would there be uh, would there be benefit in uh, almost doing some case studies around implementation by people in these towns that are using the tools? Yes. Do you want to... Because it sounds like we we hear stories about these great successes um, and uh, would it be useful to have people that are actually on the ground making this stuff happen tell their stories in their own voice and kind of talk about the challenges and the, the ways they've overcome them in a really kind of real nuts and bolts kind of way?
5: Yes, definitely. I think there's real value for two reasons. One, to share the successes, but also for those communities that may be somewhat reticent to try new things. Everybody always wants to know that somebody else did it first, and that would be a way to help seed and jumpstart more of these interesting activities.
0: Excellent. All right. And the people on the call today, is there anyone willing to kind of put their hand up and and talk about stories that that they've done and uh, projects that they've implemented to help the group a lot? Could we count on you if we reached out to you in the future to to share some of your successes?
5: We'll give it a try, sure. Yeah, sure.
0: Excellent um, that that sounds excellent um so it sounds like some themed conversations and almost like um maybe some kind of education sessions around uh, around presenting some new tools and some new techniques and some new tactics um and then the the other kind of really big piece that people would really like to see is uh is success stories that have a real focus on implementation and delivery? Does that sound right
5: yes yeah yeah, yeah. yes
0: <laughs> and uh and some kind of regular call either uh
4: daily or quarterly <laughs> or <somewhere laughs> <in this one. laughs> yeah sometime between that.
5: Rebecca will send us little uh, teasers every other day or so. <laughs> no, no, oh,
4: not every, every hour. hour. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. <laughs> Excellent. All
0: right. Well, I, uh, I think that's a, that's a really great start. I, I want to thank everybody for joining us. This was the first call like this that we've done, um, and it was wonderful that you could all join us and and be part of this discussion. Um, I know that in the email that Rebecca sent out, there was. A, uh, a link to a survey that was just a really quick questionnaire on um, on how you found this experience and uh, kind of what you were hoping to get out of it. and um, it, it would be really great to get your feedback on that because we're really trying to find ways to make this work well um, and to, to keep this kind of conversation
4: going. So With, is, any your work feedback is, you could give us. That your work is really, really important. There, there's a lot out there. So is and, yours. <laughs> you no, know, but yours it really is, and and it, it helps. It really helps people realizing that they're not as alone as they think, and other people have already tried this thing, and it's very, very important.
0: Excellent. Thank well, you. Uh, thank you very much, everyone. If if there's uh, is if, if anyone has any final comments, um, please please share them. Um, I think we're starting to lose people, as we get close to hitting. Five o'clock Eastern. Um, so, on behalf of uh, myself and, and Yasmin and Jared and Rebecca from Orton and Community Matters, I'd like to say thank you to everyone here. And uh, please do add any additional thoughts into the uh, into the Google Doc that we're keeping notes, and we'll make sure that everyone gets a copy of that um,
4: mm-hmm. after the call. Okay, Great. cool. Thank, thank you. Thank you all.
6: Thank, thank you. you very much. Bye bye. Cheers.
0: Bye. Bye. Bye.